0: This is the Hot Stove Report. Going,
1: going, goodbye baseball!
0: On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle
1: app. Here's the pitch by Downing, swinging, there's a drive into left center field, that ball is going to be out of here, it's
2: gone, it's 7-15, champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Henry
1: Aaron is coming around third. His teammates are at home plate, and listen to this crowd. The salad crowd is cheering. Henry Aaron, the home run king of all time, 7-15. And welcome back to the second hour of Hot Stove on this uh, Tuesday evening. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill. And we have with us uh, Dave Sims and Shannon Dreher. And uh, folks, uh, over the past three, four weeks, it's been a really a tough time in, in Major League Baseball. We've lost so many of our heroes. Uh, and recently, over the last few days, uh, one of the greatest players in the game of baseball passed away at the age of 86, Henry Aaron. Uh, the greatest home run hitter of all time still in my mind with 755 home runs. He was so consistent, 23 years, all with the Braves organization in Milwaukee and also Atlanta. And uh, looking back on on Hank Aaron's career, he was the one of the best who ever played the game of baseball. And Dave Sims and Gary Hill and, and Shannon, uh, he left really an impact, not only on the game, but what he meant to, uh, you know, social – injustice and what he went through especially when the club moved to Atlanta chasing down Babe Ruth's record what do you guys remember most about Henry Aaron
0: well Rick uh, you and I are about the same age and uh you know I grew up you know watching National League Baseball so I had the pleasure of seeing the hammer when that when they would come through Philly and I, I gotta I keep meaning to look it up but I in my mind's eye, he must have hit 350 against the Phillies. <laughs> I mean, he, must <laughs> he probably have hit, did. He probably hit about 600 runners in scoring position. I mean, it, the guy was just unbelievable. And, and watching uh, interviews that he had done over the years and even some recently, uh, just a graceful man who withstood tremendous, tremendous pressure, particularly coming down so late 73 and end of 74 with the record at hand. Yeah. And, talking about millions of pieces of mail that he got hate mail, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, unsaid. Un- and yet, you know, he continued to perform at a very high level. And I heard Leo Mazzoni today on, on TV with uh, Harold and Matt, and they were talking, and, and he was talking about how gracious and smart a baseball guy Henry was in terms of what he did for Leo as a pitching coach and how he could – and what he anticipated pitchers were going to do, his his ability to break things down, and what a great job having a good eye for talent when he was running the Braves uh, uh, farm system. Uh, the one, real quick, the one story um, I heard um, he, that Hank talked about that he always sat on a curveball. Because nobody could ever get the fastball by him. I mean, that's completely one eighty what everybody else does. Exactly. You, see, you know, look it for the yeah. curve. Yeah, but they always talk. me talking about his hands. Like I had pretty big hand, and and his and they engulfed me. That one time I met him, I only had one personal interaction with him. But just a wonderful guy and and a tremendous, tremendous baseball player and a wonderful American.
1: Gary, uh, you know the numbers in this game of baseball as well as. Anybody, I mean, the the 755 home runs, second most in baseball behind Barry Bonds, the RBI's number one, well over 3,700 hits. You take away the 755 home runs, he still had over 3,000 hits. He was a great hitter with power. Gary, what do the numbers say about Henry Aaron?
3: Well, it's funny when you think about his career. I think you can make the argument that he's actually an underrated player, which is – This thing to say, talking about Hank Aaron, but you made the point. I mean, you take away his home runs. He still has 3,000 hits. You know, he's got the most famous home run, I would argue, in baseball history. Uh, He had the home run record for a long time. And part of me feels like he is known as a home run hitter for good reason. But – I think it, what gets overlooked is what a great hitter he was. I mean, you look at the batting average, yeah. you look at the on-base percentage, the runs scored. You look at the gold gloves. He was a complete player and one of the best of all time. It, when I think about Hank Aaron, you know, I, I think about in this game, we, we've got all-stars, we've got superstars and hall of famers. But for me, there's like an upper echelon. There's that next level of guy and where Hank Aaron lives. That's where Jackie Robinson lives. That's where Roberto Clemente lives. Not only the best of the best that's ever played on the field, but the best of the best off the field as well. And that is where Hank Aaron belongs in my mind.
1: Exactly. There's about a handful of guys that uh, were so great that they could play above this league and this league being major league baseball or the best of the best, but you know, he was at a group, Shannon.
4: You know, when Gary talks about what a complete hitter he was. I think that is something that sometimes gets lost in the home run hitters because of what we saw more recently with the McGuire and the Sosa chases and, and, and things like that. And when you go back and you look at the numbers and you Mm -hmm. see not only did he have home run, but he still holds the record for runs batted in and total bases. And to me, when I look at that, it it came to mind. I'm like, was he Edgar with more home runs? I mean, to put up Mm -hmm. that many in those kinds of numbers, uh, it it just uh, illustrated what I couldn't see because I really wasn't watching baseball back then. (laughs) I was little. Um, It it really better told the story of what he did on Mm -hmm. the field. But the thing that really jumped out at me and told me a little bit more about who he was. Because anytime you talk to Ken Griffey Jr. about the best players in the history of the game, Hank's name was either number one or number two or number three when he he brought up best players. And my mind immediately went to Jr. when the news came down. I knew that that was something. He would be crushed by that. This is somebody who has been very big in Ken Griffey Jr.'s uh, life but uh, and so many others. I remember when we were at the Hall of Fame. He had the biggest buzz. Hank Aaron, being there, had the biggest buzz. There were whispers: "He's here. He's here." Yeah. And I remember yeah. him, you know, then having to help him down to the yeah. stage. But uh, he is the one that everybody else looked up to.
1: Here's something to wrap your minds around for the fans: He played 23 years of the major leagues. He was an All Star. Twenty five times because of the late 50s and the early 60s, about four year period there. They played two all star games to help raise money, more money into the players pool for uh, the pension when the pension really started to get going. So that's really something I had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Aaron uh, just on a few occasions. But I've told this story with you a number of times when I was with the Detroit Tigers, Hank was in town. And before a ball game, I had a chance to catch up to him and introduce myself and ask him. I said, uh, Mr. Aaron, if you have an opportunity, would you like to come up to the booth and spend some time with me on the radio? And if you recall at Old Tiger Stadium, that was a really small booth, fit only two people, you know, side by side. And he said, sure, I'll come up. So I went up to the booth, got ready for the pregame show in the game. And I really didn't think that Mr. Aaron would come up But sure enough, he did. So about the fourth inning, he came in and sat down. And, man, I was a kid again. I was nervous. Here's one of the greatest players, one of my heroes growing up as a kid. I had a chance to watch him and Frank Robinson and Ernie Banks and Willie Mays. And here's Henry Aaron sitting next to me. We started a conversation. So we're talking about his career. We talked about, hey, what was it like to hit number 715? I'll never forget his response. He said relief. He said, thank God it's over. That was his quote because of the hate mail and the pressure that he got trying to chase down Babe Ruth and finally hit the home run off of Al Downing for number 715. But then we continued with the conversation, and I asked him, as I do, pretty much everybody I talked to that's, that had a, a good career in the big leagues or like Frank, Hank Aaron, a great career, I said, who'd you hit your first home run off of? Everybody remembers their first home run. And he went, oh, man, my first home run. Oh, man, little, little left-hander. And I said, and then I felt bad because I just said everybody remembers their first home run. So I said, Hank, you hit 755 home runs. Can't remember all of them. So we continued with the conversation as the game went along. And I could tell he wasn't quite there because he was still thinking about who he hit his first home run off of. And about four minutes later, I said, there's a ground ball, the short travel to his right back hands, long throw to first, end time, and he got him. And all of a sudden, there was a little lull, and he goes, Vic Rasche! And he, <laughs> he scared the heck out of me. He yelled, Vic Rashy. I said, Vic Rasche? He said, my first home run. I hit my first home run off of Vic Rashie And it was, it was killing him. He couldn't remember. Finally remembered. He scared the heck out of me. But here I am with one of the greatest ever put on a – a major league uniform, and uh, it was a real thrill because uh, once again, all my baseball cards came to life when I was. A kid. It was, it was just a joy to be with them.
0: Yeah, I had one interaction with him. I'm d- at WNBC Radio, Thirty Rock here in New York, and uh, Letterman's doing a show. He's still at NBC. It's about eighty six, eighty seven, and uh, you know I'm, I'm at the, at the station at three thirty four o'clock, and in house rally, you see Henry Aaron's going to be a guest. So 5.30, they start taping. I go from the second floor up to the sixth floor. I see uh, the attendant in the hallway there. I say, where is uh, Mr. Aaron likely to come out of after he finishes the show? He's right behind you. So I go, and I, I, I'm like a sentinel at this at this door, waiting for him to come out. Comes out. I introduce myself, Mr. Aaron. My name's Dave. My name's Dave Sims. I do a talk show downstairs. would love if you'd give me five minutes and come down. I said, oh, sure, Dave. An elevator. I'm looking. I'm like, man, I'm going to ride. I'm riding an elevator with Henry Aaron. We get down to the station on the second floor. Jaws drop as we walk through the door. I'm like, are you kidding me? Henry Aaron? Oh, my God. He proceeded (laughs) to give me 25 minutes of radio
1: gold. Oh, man. Remember the legends, you know, let them live in your mind and your heart and uh, they'll stay there forever. And uh, Henry Aaron is going to stay in our hearts and our minds, you know, forever. What a a sad day for the game of baseball with the loss of Henry Aaron at the age of 86. Coming up next, we're going to visit with a talented young outfielder by the name of Taylor Trammell. The Baroners picked him up in a big trade with the San Diego Padres last year. Taylor is one of the top young prospects in all of baseball, and he's among the bevy of To young talented outfielders right now in the Mariners organization we're going to be back and visit with Taylor Trammell as Hot Stove continues after these messages
0: Blue has a very slow easy
1: deceiving motion but when he lets that ball go it is something else again a rising fastball another one hit high and deep Mike Robinson goes back 370 feet away looks up it's in the upper deck
0: and it's three to nothing And Hank Aaron, who has had no extra base hits until right now in his all-star career, hits a home
1: run
4: to make it 3-0 in the National League, and Vita blue has been touched up for three runs, two of them homers. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710
0: ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle
1: Sports app. And again, welcome back to Hot Stove tonight. And this reminder, is part of the Mariners' virtual baseball bash, fans are invited to visit the Mariners' team stores for their January sales. Save up to 75% off of select caps, apparel, and novelties for the whole family. Plus score Nike on-field gear for 25% off. Stop by any of the four convenient Mariners' team store locations before February 1st to take advantage. And again, welcome back. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill. And now we have a chance to visit with one of the broad- bright young stars in the Mariners organization. Outfielder Taylor Trammell. The Mariners picked up Taylor from the Padres during the 2020 season last year, along with three other young players. Taylor, welcome to the show. Where are you spending the off season, And how excited are you to getting down to spring training and get ready for 2021?
5: Yeah, so I'm right now. Uh, well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, it's a blast. I'm excited to be here. Uh, but right now, I'm in, uh, I'm in Georgia right now uh just preparing for the season uh praying that we start on time and that we get to go out to arizona uh i do know that we can't go out there a little bit early usually i would be uh usually i would be out here right now out in arizona but you know because of uh Covid 19 i'm not allowed to uh so i get out there probably about next month around this time uh next month and you know, I'm excited to just be out there. Uh, I hope I don't know how we're going to do with fans. I just hope that we get to be with the fans this year. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't know too much about that, but I'm just excited to meet new people, uh, especially with this within this organization. I'm excited to be out there.
3: Hey, I hear congratulations are in order. You're
5: engaged. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm excited. That's my that's my girl, my boo. So I'm excited. Uh, it would have, you know, for me, it would have been a little bit earlier, but, you know, she was in college and uh, I was just waiting for her to graduate so that we could be a little bit more, uh, more, we could be a little bit more stable and stuff like that. But I'm just excited it fell through. It was, honestly, it was, I'm surprised that people kept the surprise in order. Hmm, the um, and it was, honestly, it was just a great day overall.
1: All right, buddy, I got to ask you how did you pop the question and where?
5: <laughs> okay, so there's this place out in uh Atlanta. Uh it's called the Swan House and it's a beautiful house. Uh it's a mansion, it's huge and there's a courtyard in it. So from the courtyard there's a view of the house. So my best friend, uh she actually um found the place. We uh had kept it a secret. Um so we went there. Uh she kept calling me like to see where the whole it's a long story but uh we came down the steps we had a red carpet um a like pictures of us and everybody asked me like was I nervous I wasn't nervous I knew she was going to say yes but when my foot started when my foot started to go back as like I'm kneeling that's when I kind of was like oh crap like this is for real like I can't, I can't go back, you know, yeah, this is going to happen. So that was a, yeah. I was like, this is going to happen. Like, this is for real. Like I'm like, I, I can't like not say like, I can't get back up. Like I'm already in it. So I was very excited. I was very happy. Uh, she's an amazing girl. Um, and I'm just so happy to call her my fiance and my oh. future wife at this point. So I'm excited.
3: Taylor, we just spent the last 20 minutes or so talking about one of the real legends of this game and Hank Aaron. I know you had a chance to meet Hank Aaron uh, a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. Tell us a story again about meeting one of the greatest there's ever been.
5: Oh, man. Okay, so this was well, – first of all, um, my condolences to his family and his friends and everybody that was close to him uh, and everybody around the baseball community that knew him. Um, it, this hurt a lot, um simply because I'm from Georgia, um and I'm from um, I'm from outside of arena you know, but he he meant a lot to a lot of uh a lot of black players, um not even just a lot of black he meant a lot to everybody in Atlanta. Um and just the way that looking at him, uh what he went through in his career, um how he handled a lot of the adversity that he went through uh, from being obviously the best player on the field for 20 some years, 20 uh, or 21 years. I'm pretty sure it was just seeing him uh, deal with all that stuff um, on and off the field. Uh, when I know, you know, he could have handled it a completely different way. And sometimes he probably did. He's human. And Seeing him, how he handled it, uh, how he was to people, how he was to me when I first met him, I mean, I I look at him and I'm like, I, I wish I could just be like how he was, just a, like a small bit of that. And it hurt a lot when I found out I was working out and somebody said, hey, Hank Aaron passed away. And I just like, no, no chance. I was like, no, this can't, yeah. this can't be it. And the one, I'll tell you this little tidbit story um the first time I met him I was uh at a pre-draft workout with the Braves and you know all the their front office guys were there and I didn't know that he was there and so we're leaving I'm with my granny and my mom and so you know I'm leaving I'm like oh yeah it's the workout went great and I see some uh, you know somebody stops me they yelling at me that hey hold up hold up hold up somebody wants to see you so we're just waiting and we see this person, you know, driving on like a go-kart, somebody in the passenger seat. I'm just kind of like, okay, probably the phone office and whatever. And I I look and as he gets closer, I'm like, there's no chance. And I'm looking, he gets closer and it was like an, an aura of him was just like beaming. And I was like, he was like, I was like oh my goodness. He was like, hey, hey, Taylor. know. Uh, I was like, you don't need to say anything. I know who you are. Like, don't say anything. I mean, I, I know who you are. You are Hammer and Hank. Oh, my goodness. I'm I'm freaking out. He, and then, long story short, he proceeds to talk to me for about, I don't know, maybe about 10-ish minutes. Um, I remember probably, like, the first, like like, three minutes of it. And then I kind of was just like <laughs> in awe of everything that he was talk- like talking to me face to face, and I'm just like, I think I should have remembered all that he just said, but I'm just like in awe that is Hank Aaron, like seventh Like I'm just look, I'm like, oh my goodness. And uh, um, the really the biggest thing was how big his hands were, and they, I had pretty big hands, and he engulfed my hands, yeah. and I was just like oh, my goodness, he made me feel small. <laughs> that, was, that was just like the coolest day, and I was just so sad um, last week when I found out that he passed away. Yeah, we lost one of
1: our great heroes uh, growing up for me and, and everybody else, and you had that wonderful moment to, to share, uh, you know, with uh, Hank Aaron. Who were your heroes uh, growing up as a kid there in Kennesaw, Georgia, outside of Atlanta?
5: Well, I, I actually grew up in Powder Springs. Um, but, you know, my my dad, you know, my mom and dad, really my whole family, my mom and dad, and my brother, they're my heroes. Um, and then growing up, like, I think, I don't know, but like Dexter Fowler and Curtis Branderson really are the two guys that made me really, like, love baseball, really. And, like, it was really cool, like, to see them as I was growing up, you know, in the – kind of like when I was a little bit younger – uh, you know, 13, 14, when baseball was, like, getting, like, really big uh, in my life, where I'm like, I could possibly have this as a career. You know, looking at those guys, I'm like, golly, like, this, those are guys that, um, especially, like, Dexter, like, he's from Georgia. Like, looking at him, I think it was really just with the Rockies and then the Cubs. Like, those were, like, really cool days, you know, looking at him. And I was just like, this is pretty sick. I think, yeah, yeah, I was like, this is. Like looking at him play, how he had him so much fun. I was like, I could be just like this guy, you know. And that was just great for me. So those were like the guys that really like, you know, molded me into who I am.
3: When you look at this upcoming season, what are your goals? What would you like to accomplish this year?
5: Wow. Well, um. I you know I think for me um, personally, I want to win everywhere I go. Um, you know, there are some personal goals. I, I try to keep to myself, um, and I'll, I'll give you one of them, is just being the best teammate that I can be on and off the field. But as far as, like, me contributing, like, I'm, I I want to win. And that comes down, you know, obviously to, like, the little details, having good at-bats every single time you get up, quality at-bats when you get up like, every time, um, making the small plays, whether it be a ground ball to me and I coming up making the throws second or – you know, keeping that guy from running, I want to do that. Those are my goals this year so that I can contribute to those guys and pretty much back those pitchers up as much as possible and drive in as many runs as possible so I can help the team win. That's really, um, you know, cut and dry how I want to be this year,
1: just win. I love that, Taylor. Visiting with young outfielder Taylor Trammell. Taylor 2020 was a strange year for all of us trying to play through a pandemic and uh, no minor league season. You had about 30 players down in Tacoma at the alternate training site. How much work were you able to get in there to to get ready for the offseason to get in some work now during the offseason get ready for spring training? What what was that experience like for you?
5: It was it was different. It was different. Um, I'll say it's had a bit difficult as well cuz we didn't have fans with us. Um, but I I got in my work. Um, I got you know my abs in. I got a chance to face some really good arms. Um, I I think that it was you know honestly it was great you know overall the experience uh, because you know I got to talk to some of the guys that were coming down from the big leagues uh, just to see how it was up there and everything like that. Um, I I think that was just really it was a it was a great time Uh, and it was a smooth very very smooth transition. Uh, I thought it would be a little bit like a, a weirder tr- uh, transition because I got I just got traded um, in a condensed season with a pandemic. I thought it was going to be a little bit more difficult to, you know, find new guys to you know talk to and stuff like that. It was it was smooth. Um, I knew a lot of guys within the organization. Uh, a lot of guys were very open with me. A lot of guys were just very welcoming of me, and I thought that was great. So. It was, a, it was a very good transition with this season.
1: Taylor, I'm telling you, if uh, if your talent matches your personality, son, you're going to have a successful career in the big leagues for a long time. We love visiting with you, and I can't wait to see you in a Mariners uniform at spring training. Hope to see you up in Seattle real soon. We can't thank you enough for the visit, buddy.
5: Thank you guys for the time. I'm just very excited to be with this organization. I really do appreciate you guys having
0: me on.
1: Well, it's great to have you here. Outfielder Taylor Trammell and Hot Stove continues. We will wind it down right after this timeout.
0: Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710Sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app.
1: And the 0-1 pitch to Loriano from Yacobonis. On the way, swinging a high fly ball deep left center field. On the run to the winning track. Kyle Lewis near the wall. Leaps up and he makes the catch! Holy smokes! Kyle Lewis over the wall and left center brings it back. And he takes a grand salami away from Raymond Loriano
3: is one of the many highlights from Kyle Lewis this past season. Rookie of the year in the American League. What a season it was and we're going to talk a little bit about that and where it all began with his Mariners career as we connect with the Mariners area scout in the Southeast. John Wiedenbauer who scouted Kyle Lewis back when he was in college at Mercer. Also scouted Emerson Hancock but, John, it is great to talk to you. It's great to have you on. I can't wait to hear some of the stories about scouting Kyle Lewis. But I have to think, after scouting Kyle and everything he went through, and then he makes it to the major leagues, your first sign to get to the big leagues. But to watch him win the award, when Rookie of the Year, what did that mean to you in the moment to see that?
2: It was I, – I mean, I, I got chills when, when they announced his name, you know, and it was – even yeah, a lot of people, you know, reaching out saying, look, he's, he's got it in the bag, you know, listening, listening just to the, to the broadcast every, every game It's you know, Aaron talking about, Hey, he's, he's a lock for, it." you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, but it's got to happen still. And, you know, just listening to the media reading stuff and, you know, people were talking about Luis Robert and, yeah. you know, he's a good player too. And, um, you know, you, you just didn't know. And so, the, the fact that he won, it was unanimous. It was, I mean, it was awesome. And I, and I, I watched the, uh, the YouTube piece that they, that the Mariners did on him, um, shortly after. And, and it brought out brought back a lot of good memories of, of, you know, kind of the process and that injury. Oh man, it was, it was tough. I mean, we our just director at the time, I believe was at the game when it happened and he reached out to me and he was like, I don't know. He's like, I, I don't think it's major, but we don't know. Like we just, we just didn't know at the time. Cause kind of like what Kyle said in that documentary, he, he, he wasn't sure what it was. He didn't think it was severe at the time. So it was, um, it was kind of a, yeah, let's see what happens type of scenario. And then once they announced, you know, what, what the diagnosis was, it was, it was heartbreaking. It was hard. You know, it was, it, you felt like you were kind of going through the same thing. It was like, oh no, what, you know, what does this mean for his career? last year was really his, his first healthy year back. And, and it was like, okay, you know, what, what's his ceiling, you know, what, what can he be? And I heard a lot of people saying this past off season, he was, he was really working on speed, agility, uh, athleticism, everything that once he got on the field, even in spring training this year, I was like, man, he looks like he looks better than he did before the injury. I was like, this is, this is exciting. This is what got you excited when you saw him before. And, um, to see what he's done, you know, it's, it's, I, I, it, it's hard to say because I, I don't want to say I'm not surprised, you know, because he always, he never ceases to amaze me, but it, it was, it was something that you thought he was going to do. Right. Cause, cause just the makeup, the character of everything he was, it, you know, that, that was, you were confident that that's what he, who he was going to be. We're so lucky that, that it's played out as it, as it has, and as devastating of an injury as it is, it, it probably happened to a guy that could handle it, you know, and, and um, you know, somebody that can, that can, come back stronger and I remember reaching out to him shortly after the injury and he was he said you know hey this is it's just a just a setback you know I'm gonna come back stronger and that's that's everything I expected him to say after getting to know him pretty well so
3: when you saw him play what jumped out when you saw him in those early days for the first few
2: times? <clears throat> yeah so he, he was at Mercer which is a, a during the Southern conference it's a mid-major type school and he he just he, he stands out on the field. I mean, he is his size, his athleticism, the way he can impact the game and it was offensively and defensively, you know, he he found ways to, you know, put the ball in play and hit the ball, you know, with with a ton of power. I mean, that's he he had power to all fields. I've saw him hit home runs to all fields. I saw him hit home runs off of fastballs breaking balls change up, like you know everything you'd want to see but what really stood out was his his defensive play like his his instincts in center field right it was he was never the guy that you just said wow he's a burner he's going to stay in center field he was the guy that he had really good instincts and he got to balls that you were like man he that was pretty impressive mm-hmm. and I mean he could go up and the ball that that he robbed Loriano on this season right I I actually saw him do do things like that in college and and it was like man that's you know, I, I, I wasn't very quick to say, hey, he can't play center field. I was like, I, I'm going to give this guy a, a realistic chance. And I, I think I think our organization did a good job of, of, of really, you know, being convicted and saying, hey, he, this guy deserves a chance to stay in center field. And then when we got closer to the draft, he, he was pretty well known, even when I got into the area, that he was probably going to be a first round pick. He had a good, good sophomore year. He was the conference player of the year. He went to the Cape. He had success in the Cape. Right. So he was a pretty well-known name and he was he was already pretty high on the prep list to begin with. So he was um, he was already pretty well known. But his success throughout the spring ended up leading us to think he might not be there at 11. (laughs) You know, there was there was a lot of media that felt like he was going to go early, you know, top five picks. Some some people even had him one one. So there was, it was kind of like one of those things where I was like, man, he, he's doing so well, and you're really pulling for the kid. It's just, I don't know if he's going to be there. And and come draft night, it was maybe not a ton of expectations for me, but just sitting there, I wasn't in the draft room. I was at home and sitting there watching the first couple picks come by. It was like, okay, we haven't heard Kyle's name yet. This is all right. And then once we got, once we started getting to like six, seven, eight. I looked at my wife and I was like, okay, this is getting a little interesting. What's going on here? So I started communicating with some guys and it it really wasn't until the pick before. I think it was right after pick nine, I want to say somebody reached out to me and was like, Hey, we think it's going to happen. So it was, it was pretty much last minute to find out. And, uh, I couldn't have been more excited, you know, just kind of how it all played out. And we'll, we'll get, we'll talk to talk about Emerson here in a minute, but, but both those guys, like just probably two of my favorite guys to scout, two of my favorite guys to, to, to talk about, to get to know. Just guys that that you draft them and you feel really good putting your head on the pillow at night, right? And you're like, okay, I feel really good about what he's going to do in our system and organization, how he's going to carry himself, you know, how he's going to represent us. So I, I couldn't have been more happy with with how everything went down.
3: You mentioned reaching out; it's something that fans don't get a chance to see, but you mm-hmm. form a relationship with players you're scouting, their families, and then. They sign in the organization, you kind of help shepherd them through. I mean, there's there's a lasting relationship there.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, I I, I got to go into his house, which is for a college guy, that that's not in terribly normal. Mm-hmm. Um, usually with the college guys, we usually meet with them on campus, maybe at the baseball field or baseball offices. That's usually more of protocol for the college guys. It just so happened that we were able to meet, I think it was over the holiday break, over the winter break, and he lived – he lives up near near Atlanta, a little east of of the city. And I was I was in the area, so it, it just kind of made sense. Our scouting director and our national cross checker at the time they uh, they they joined me as well. So I got to meet him, go into go into his house, you know, meet his parents, meet his brother, meet the family, kind of really get a good a good vibe for for everything that that him and his family you know are and. That, that was just kind of the start of it. And then every game I went to, you know, I got to see his parents, hug his mom. You know, you're right. You, you really form a relationship. You almost feel like you're, you're part of the family to some extent. And and then once we drafted him, I flew out with Kyle, his dad, and his brother. His mom stayed back because they had a draft party and they had a bunch of family that were in town. So they're like, ah, somebody's got to stay back. So um, unfortunately, mom had to, had to pull the duties for that. But I, I, I flew out and we spent three days together. I mean, we were together all day. Um, just kind of seeing the city, doing some different things, um, getting to go to the ballpark and, and already feeling very confident of who he was just spending three days with him there was like, man, like it, it, he's, he's so much better with human being than, than I even expected him to be, you know, and, and you, you know, it was it, you, but you're right. Like I, I, I texted him right after he won the rookie of the year. He was like, he, he, he shot me right back. He said, thanks, man. You know, you've been there from the beginning. Appreciate everything you've done. You know, it's, it's good. It, it it, it makes you feel pretty good about, about what you're doing.
3: Well, congrats on that. And who knows, maybe you'll have another rookie of the year here down the road. You, you know, you personally. mentioned scouting Georgia, and that's kept you pretty busy. I think the Mariners have used a high pick, what, three years in a row on a player from the University of Georgia, including yeah. the last pick. Tell us what you saw from Emerson Hancock.
2: Yeah, yeah. So Emerson um, Emerson was a little different in Kyle, than Kyle in the sense that I I got to scout Emerson when he was in high school. So I had a little bit more history with him before this, this spring. And he was, he was a pretty well-known prospect. So I saw him multiple times. I got to know him and his parents pretty well through the high school, uh, the high school season. And then his parents always would come to games, you know, as a freshman and sophomore when he wasn't even draft eligible at Georgia, got to see his parents and kind of keep, keep in touch with him. But to get to see his development, I mean, he was, he was an interesting player out of high school, and he showed you some velocity, and he showed the field to spin the, the breaking ball, but he just didn't hold the, his velocity, you know, as, as well as, as maybe a guy that you would, you would feel really comfortable, you know, trying to select. And, and he was also very committed to going to school, too. Both his parents were, were in the educational system. His dad was a football coach, and his mom, I, I believe, was a, a speech pathologist. They, they were very educational-based, so he was, he, w- he was very very confident that he wanted to go to school and, and that was, you know, that was a decision. You, you respect it. And but he, you know, got to got to really scout him for about four years, really, from from his senior year of high school all the way through his junior year. And to see him progress and go through, you know, the the strength, the, uh, you know, adding weight to himself, improving his mechanics, improving his velocity, doing everything you would hope you'd he would expect. He added a slider, which was something he didn't throw in high school as well. So it was a little bit more of a a complete package to feel like, Hey, I've, I've seen him progress and and get to go through that. So, but another, another really impressive human being, just, just, I mean, you, you, you couldn't ask for a better, a better guy to get into the organization and just be around, you know, the, the other players and the coaches and, and, you know, you're going to get everything that he has every day. So he's just another guy that, that it's hard not to pull for
3: throwing out last year because it was such a unusual year during a normal season, how many baseball games do you think you end up watching there during the course of the season?
2: Oh, good question. Just the spring or the whole year? Oh,
3: well, the whole year. Give us the
2: whole oh, year. man. Oh, geez. Um, there are some days during the spring. We'll see upwards of three to four games and it might not be the whole game, you know, pitch, you know, pitch one to the last pitch. Sometimes it's, if you go to see a high school pitcher and he's throwing two innings and you got a chance to go run over and, and possibly see somebody else close by, we'll do that. But I I would imagine I I see parts of maybe 150 games in the spring. Mm -hmm. And then we do a little, we do some crossover work between um, amateur as well as some minor league coverage we do in the summer. So, so I'll see, you know, I'll see a bunch of amateur games and, and see some minor league games as well usually and then in the fall you're watching a lot of scrimmages and a lot of you know team practices and and stuff like that so man to put a number on it that's really hard it's i uh, i i would say a few hundred to say the least yeah. I, I would think you know the, the the you're seeing and you're you're watching you, you don't really have a, a template for hey these are the guys that you need to go scout you know and, and these are the ones that you focus on it's more hey you know you this is your area, you know, find the best players. And, and typically there, there are certain events that the better players show up at and that helps us, but there's always guys that fall th- that slip through the cracks. And so it's, it always keeps you on your toes and and we'll go to some of these big events and, and you got your head on a swivel trying to watch multiple games and seeing if just something jumps out at you. And it's uh, it, it, it takes a lot of time. It, it takes a lot of time on the road and, you know, away from the family, which is hard, but it's, it always seems worth it in the end for sure.
3: I talk about it all the time. There's nothing like the MLB draft. I mean, you're talking about high school kids and mm-hmm. JC kids and small college, major college. I mean, you're talking about hundreds and thousands of players. And uh, I don't know if everyone realizes how much work that is. And it's, it's fun to when it pays off with guys like Kyle Lewis and Emerson Hancock. So congrats. I mean, that's so great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm uh I'm excited, you know, like like I said before, it's probably two of the best guys that I could have asked for that I've had the opportunity to scout over the last few years that we've we've been able to get in the system. So hopefully they're uh, they're big leaguers for a long time and take us to a World Series. That's the goal, right?
3: That's the goal. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Gary.
3: There it is. John Wheatonbauer, area scout for the Mariners. The Mariners Community Tour presented by Root Sports is back in 2021. It's virtual. You can follow public live streams, features Mariners players, broadcasters. They talk about the offseason and the outlook for the season ahead. And more information, good times and fun, dates, times, just visit Mariners.com slash community tour. More to come on Hot Stove
0: right after this. All things Mariners, all off season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle Sports app.
1: And again, welcome back to Hot Stove. As we wind down the second hour of Hot Stove, we had a chance to talk a lot of baseball with Mariner skipper Scott Service, who also visited with young pitcher Justin Dunn and young outfielder Taylor Trammell, and also uh, the scout John Wiedenbauer, Mm -hmm. who uh, took a look at a very young Kyle Lewis and Emerson Hancock. What a job, and that's so important for any major league club. Gary, this was a lot of fun, and coming up tomorrow on Wednesday... At 10 a.m., a media session with Andy McKay plus uh, some future stars. We're going to visit with Logan Gilbert, Jared Kelnick, and Emerson Hancock. Also, on Wednesday at 12 o'clock, we'll have a virtual clubhouse chat with Julio Rodriguez. You don't want to miss that. Mm -hmm. And then at 6.30 tomorrow night, we're going to have uh, Mariner Super Trivia with Super this trivia. guy right here with Gary Hill. <laughs> Test your Mariner's knowledge for the chance to win some great prizes. Gary, you ready for the fans? I'm ready.
3: Thanks. Oh, this is exciting. Man, that's I can't wait cool. for this. I this know. is right up my alley.
1: I know it. I love
3: trivia. I do, too. I really especially do. Mariner's trivia. Exactly. Actually something I feel like I'm, I'm good at. Oh, you're There's not many things, things I'm good at, but I, good think, at I think I think Meredith trivia is one of the things.
1: The fans are going to love that, so tune yeah, in tomorrow at 6 30. super trivia, not just regular trivia. No, no, trivia, no. It's super
3: trivia. I, I want no part of regular <laughs> trivia. I only do super <laughs> trivia.
1: Okay, let's try to work in a question about Jeff Manto, okay? <laughs> that, that'll be super <laughs> trivia. That will
3: be. That is in the weeds <laughs> trivia.
1: There we go. And then coming up on Thursday at noon, uh, I'm going to host a virtual clubhouse chat with Mark McLemore, Jamie. Moore and Arthur Rhodes as uh, we talk about the amazing 2001 season in which the Mariners won 116 games, more games than any team in baseball history in a single season at uh, 7 p.m., We'll have uh, the the, roundtable, our 2001 20th Anniversary Roundtable premieres on YouTube. I'll sit down to reminisce with members of the 2001 team, including, at that time, Brett Boone, Aaron Seeley, Tom Lampkin, and Norm Charlton. Then coming up on Friday at noon, Mariners Virtual Workout, led by the strength and conditioning staff, will get you in shape. And then at 4 p.m., the Inside Corner, the Happy Hour edition, hosted by... Aaron Goldsmith, Marco Gonzalez, and their special guest, Kendall Grayman. For a full list of events at com slash Baseball Bash, you can find out everything that's going on. A busy week of baseball as we get closer and closer, Gary, to spring training 2021. Can't wait to get down there. Great show tonight, buddy. That yeah, this was, a lot was of fun. fun.
3: This was fun. And the baseball bash has been a lot of fun, too. I know we've yeah. both done a, a number of different things. And just to hear from different players and people within the organization, it, it's been a fun week. It's been a fun couple of weeks. Yeah.
1: We're bringing baseball to the masses here in the Pacific Northwest uh, because of COVID-19. We can't uh, get on a bus and go around to the different communities uh, around the state and the Pacific Northwest. But we're bringing you baseball, Mariners baseball, uh, virtual. So we can't thank you enough for tuning in. A lot going on for the rest of the week. Gary, that wraps it up. Another edition of Hot Stove. And we'll see you one week uh, from tonight. So we had a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week.